I thought I would do the obligatory asterisk, get that right out of the way, because um, uh, for the first part of my message, I'm stealing from last year. <clears throat> last year, um, actually last year during this time, I was preaching across the river in uh, Wappingers Falls, but I was listening to the podcast of what was going on here because I I knew that we were going to be heading heading here and settling in here once my assignment across the river was finished. So I was listening uh, intently to what was going on here. And uh, uh, Pastor Tim and Pastor Derek and uh, Pastor John were talking about what is Emmanuel to me. Emmanuel... Uh, the the uh, wonderful story of the Advent season and and the Christmas that we're all excited to celebrate is is about this. Therefore, the Lord Himself will give you a sign, not the asterisk. <laughs> the Virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son, and we will call him Emmanuel. All this Matthew one Matthew one goes back to Isaiah's prophecy, and he says, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet, the virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Just two chapters later in Isaiah's prophecy, Isaiah describes a time of gloom. The people were walking in great darkness. And then he goes on to say, but the people who are walking in great darkness, the people who are walking in darkness have seen a great light. Words of hope that mark the beginning of the season of Christmas. Those words Isaiah spoke about people walking in darkness were so descriptive of the time in which Jesus came to earth to be born. For hundreds, for hundreds of years, Israel had been under the influence and authority of a foreign occupying power. A steady stream of foreign enemies had always troubled Israel. Local enemies like the Amalekites, Amorites, Ammonites, Jebusites, Gergesites, Canaanites, and especially those dirty Philistines. And the world powers like the Egyptians, Assyrians, Babylonians, Medes, Persians, the Greeks under Alexander the Great, and then finally the Seleucids and the Romans. Most of the people alive during the days in which Jesus came to earth had long forgotten what it was to live in freedom and even with a hope of deliverance. But in Galatians chapter 4, verse 4, we read, But when the time had fully come, God sent his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, that we might receive adoption to sonship. Dark times, hopeless times. But God was waiting waiting oh so patiently, the way old people wait. (laughs) 
Because God is, after all, the Ancient of Days, right? And no matter how old we are, we will always be children to Him. Amen. God was waiting, oh, so patiently for everything to be ready, for everything to be right, for all of the threads of His grand plan to be lined up, waiting for people to be where they were supposed to be, conditions to be what they needed to be. And then he launched Operation Restoration. His plan was not classified top secret. In fact, he regularly had been leaking details of his plan to his people through his media spokespeople, the prophets. Ideal, uh, Isaiah was one of God's most important leakers. And uh, he got to exclu- get some exclusive bits of information to leak to the public. In fact, the whole outrageous plan is leaked in that one short phrase, even really just that one word, Emmanuel. That's what I stole from last, from last year. But this isn't about last year. This is about this year. And the names that our Messiah is given. So over these next four Sundays leading up to Christmas Eve, uh, we're going to take a closer look. Each one of your pastoral staff is going to get a turn. And uh, Pastor John, the cleanup hitter, will fix all of our mistakes We're going to look at each of the four wonderful titles given to the promised deliverer, the Messiah, beginning this morning with Wonderful Counselor. For a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. His name will be called Wonderful Counselor. This is my tribute to our learned pastor. I got the biggest book on my bookshelf. And I, uh, I took the easy way out, though. I took a picture of the page that I wanted to point you to. And uh, that's coming up here. You see that highlighted there? The book that I just held up, Strong's Exhausting, Exhaustive uh, Concordance of the Bible. It has every word in the Bible. You could look up every single word and find every single place in the Bible that word is used. And uh, it will tell you what is the word in the original language. In this case, uh, the word wonderful in Hebrew is this word pele. And it means, well, don't, don't, don't go too quick. It's one of these words that we have overused, like awesome that Pastor John was talking about a couple of months ago now. It's one of the words that we have 
overused, and we have really made it mean in our, in our use, really good. Wonderful is really good. But we have really badly drained the power out of that word. Wonderful does not mean, yeah, really good. It means marvelous, too high to comprehend, hard, hidden. In the words of Paul in Ephesians 3.20, far more abundantly beyond all we can ask or think. That's what wonderful means. One of the other ways in which the word is used is found in Judges chapter 13. And I I wanted to share this with you so that you would know that I know. (laughs) Manoah was the father of Samson. And an angel of the Lord came to Manoah and told him that he was going to become a father and that the child that he was going to father was going to be set apart for life as a Nazarite. He would take a Nazarite vow. In the Jewish custom, a Nazarite vow was something that you would take for a period of time. You would set aside a period of time in your life and say, for this amount of time, I will will be a Nazarite. I will not cut my hair. I will not eat any uh, fermented... uh, I will not drink any fermented beverage, no wine, no beer, no spirits. I will not touch... Uh, any dead carcass or body for a period of time. May, may it, maybe it, uh, a week, maybe two weeks, maybe a month, maybe a year. But Samson was set apart in the womb to be a lifetime Nazarite. And Manoah, in responding um, to the angel, said, can, can you tell me your name? What is your name so that when your words, your prophecy happens we may give you proper honor, we may honor you. And the angel of the Lord said to him, why do you ask my name, seeing it is Pele? I could tell you, but you won't understand it. I could tell you what my name is, I could tell you what God calls me, but you won't understand it. You won't understand the language that it's in. You won't understand its importance, you won't understand its meaning. It's wonderful It's too high for you to comprehend. That's in in your Bible in the pew, by the way. If you looked on page 267, you would see a little footnote, a little number one next to the word wonderful. And if you looked at the bottom of the the page, you would see the footnote. uh, Wonderful here means incomprehensible, unknowable. So when we talk about a wonderful counselor, we're talking about someone too big for our finite thought, for our ideas, for my words to be able to adequately describe. This is the counselor that God is sending to me, somebody that I cannot completely get my arms around or my thoughts around. And... uh, Now, uh, here is my nod to pop culture references. This is the closest we're going to get to a... (coughs) 
Closest we're going to get to an 80s movie clip today. <clears throat> this might be the last time the word wonderful was used in our culture in a way that approaches accuracy. Because um, the wonderful world of Disney wasn't just about a really good story. It was, it was a collection of stories that really stretched your imagination. Really really were something, or were originally, or were meant to be, or intended to be, something that really drew your ideas bigger. That's why I put that picture up there. Because in this message, my hope is to help us to draw our idea of God, our wonderful counselor, much bigger. Here's the uh, second word, the word counselor, and I'm sorry this is a little fuzzy, but the word yachts, 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 that's the Hebrew word that's translated counselor. And it means to advise, to consult, to guide, or to be even more directive than just giving advice, to determine, to devise, or to purpose your course. And uh, either way that we want to use this word to apply uh, of the work of God in my life, whether he gives me advice or suggestions, or whether I give him permission to take the wheel. Nod to Carrie Underwood there. Uh, if I was to advise the girl in the story, in the song... Uh, Jesus take the wheel, I would say to her what I say to myself, um, why don't you invite Jesus to take the wheel in the driveway and keep it? <clears throat> to devise, to consult, to guide. Now, <clears throat> because I do have... Oh, you have a question. Oh, I don't know if I... All right. I'm, Pastor John might have to f correct my answer, but go ahead. Um, is the angel of the Lord in Judges a pre-incarnate appearance of Christ? I don't know. I, I, would, I would like to find other evidence around it to give us better information, whether it was actually the, the Son of God himself, which is sometimes the case, or whether it was one of his messengers. It's a very good question, and I wish that I could give you a definitive answer. Pastor John's going to have to... Pastor John says... Pastor John says... Oh, no, no, no. Pastor John says... We don't know. No. We don't. <laughs> no, no. We just, actually, because he does say my name is incomprehensible, it's probably at least a theology. Yeah. So, yes. Nope, I um, should not be staggering around up front. Theophany, theophany, a uh, Christophany, theophany, uh, theophany is when God appears in the Old Testament without the manifestation of flesh like when Christ became a human. Christophany is very specifically the second person in the Trinity. There you got it.
Okay. <laughs> I want my counselor, someone who is going to counsel me, I want my counselor to have five qualities or characteristics. And the first of them is, if I'm going to seek counsel, I want to have confidence that my counselor knows stuff. I want him to have wisdom. I am fairly confident that God knows stuff. And I think I can trust him to know whatever it is that I need for him to know in guiding me or even determining the course that I should take. He must be able to give guidance. He must be able not only to know, but to communicate what he knows to me in a way that I can understand. He must be absolutely trustworthy. I have to know whatever we talk about, he's not going to tell. I have to know that I can trust God with my garbage. He can go through, he can, he can look at my internet search history. He can look at what I'm throwing away and what I'm not throwing away. He must be absolutely trustworthy. Then, I have to know that he is sympathetic. And finally, that he is compassionate. Do these characteristics sound familiar to you? Psalm 16, verse 7 says, I will bless the Lord who has counseled me. Indeed, my mind instructs me in the night. Do you find yourself waking up at night with thoughts? Helpful thoughts? Thoughts that bring you to a place of better understanding? This is what the psalmist is describing. I'm blessing the Lord. He has counseled me. I woke up and I had an answer to a question I did not have an answer to when I went to bed. Um, I, wish I, found, I, I wish I could find the, ber- the verse that says, um, Indeed, in my shower he instructs me. Because that's often, that's often where I come to a better understanding. I don't know why, but it's true, for me at least. Just a a few psalms over, Psalm 32, 8, um, God says to me, I will instruct you and I will teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. He is willing and able He knows what I need to do, and he knows how to communicate it to me. Even when I I have difficulty understanding what it is that God is saying to me, God knows my language, and he knows how to communicate to me in a way that I can comprehend eventually. And I'm getting better at this, by the way, and I think you probably are too. I'm getting better at recognizing from out of the background clutter of all the noise in our world, I'm getting better at recognizing what is sometimes the still small voice of God, the one who consistently, gently, lovingly speaks truth, sometimes not so quietly, and sometimes, unfortunately for me, not so gently, 
because it, sometimes he has to shout at me. Sometimes he has to say to me, Dennis, are you listening? Look at me when I'm speaking to you. <laughs> Just uh, a couple of weeks ago, Pastor John reminded us that, yes, we definitely do have a sympathetic counselor. Hebrews 4.15, we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in every way, in all things as we are, and yet without sin. He can lead me through because he has already gone through, and he knows how to help me keep from putting my feet where they don't belong. And he's sympathetic about it because... He is compassionate. Matthew 9, I love this verse, these verses in Matthew 9, 35. Jesus was going through all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, healing every kind of disease and every kind of sickness. And seeing the people, he felt compassion for them. This is where... Um, I need to grow more because sometimes I see these people, these sick, dirty people doing things that sick, dirty people do and they're getting dirtier and messier and, and I don't feel compassion. I feel like, how can I get away from these people? But Jesus saw them and had compassion for them because they were distressed and dispirited like sheep without a shepherd. This wonderful counselor is everything I need and everything I want in a counselor. He checks off all of my boxes, he meets all of my requirements. So, why am I not inquiring of him? Now, here's the so what of this message. And um, I learned a long time ago in preaching class that every sermon you're telling people what. But if you're not telling them so what, you haven't finished. So I think you probably all agree with me if I've talked about Jesus, the wonderful counselor, that he is everything that we say he is, and more, glorious. What a great song to include in the worship this morning. Glorious. So since we have a wonderful counselor, there are three things I think we, we must do, and that is to seek his wonderful counsel. Seek it out. Jeremiah 33.3 invites me, call to me and I will answer you and I will tell you great and mighty things which you do not know. Anybody here know that you don't know something you need to know? And Jesus invites you to seek that from him. Call to me. Uh, There's several verses in James chapter 1 that I'm going to also... uh, Point us to remind us of this morning, starting with James 1, verse 5. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all, how? Generously. And 
without reproach? Oh, Dennis, that's a stupid question. Go ask Pastor John that one. He'll tell you. No, God never tells me, you're you're not allowed to ask me these things. If you want to know, Dennis, what I want for you, ask me. If you have ever asked God what he wants you to know, has he told you? He always tells you. Uh, Well, I would ask them several things. First of all, um, are you asking in a quiet place? Is your mind quiet so that you're able to hear an answer? And sometimes, sometimes, frankly, sometimes the answer is, um, wait. Sometimes God doesn't tell me immediately, and, and he's looking for me to patiently wait. Keep asking. Jesus invites us to take the lesson from the persistent widow to keep on asking, keep on asking, keep on asking. And perhaps he's already given you the answer. You're just not, you're just not looking where he's already put it for you to find. Is that... Uh, Here's the other book that I brought with me. And I couldn't believe this because uh, in our small group, in our home group meeting uh, a couple of weeks ago in conversation, Shirley Adams mentioned this book. And I said to Kelly, I can't believe it. She's already reading my sermon notes. (laughs) How does that even happen? Um, Pastor John, am I allowed to recommend books? Is this the protocol? All right, um, pend, pending, uh, pending approval from the head office, uh, <clears throat> I'd, I'd like to uh, suggest to you, uh, I will suggest to you, uh, I'll, let, I'll let Pastor John decide if, it, if I can suggest it in the strongest possible terms. Um, this book, In His Steps, written by Charles Sheldon in 1896. 1896 is when he wrote it. He was a pastor, and he decided to change things up on Sunday night service, and Sunday night services, he wrote um, a serial story sermon and presented a chapter each Sunday night to his congregation just to kind of change things up during the hot summer months uh, in the Midwest in the church he pastored. And uh, little did he anticipate that his Sunday evening series of messages became... Uh, the most the most exciting thing that was happening in his own church, young people were coming to church on Sunday night. Imagine that. The church was bursting. And uh, he, uh, they began to publish his chapters in a local newspaper, and then it got uh, bigger and became um, next to the Bible, next to the Bible, the best-selling book in history. Yes. <clears throat> when this edition was published, this paperback edition was published in uh, 1988. At that point, it had already sold over 50 million copies. 
in many languages. The number is now over 70 million copies of this book in his steps. I want to read an excerpt. This is Pastor Henry, fictional Pastor Henry Maxwell, speaking to a small group of congregants in his church uh, in a meeting called After Church on a Sunday morning after something remarkable had happened in church the week before. I won't go into that because I want you to find it for yourself. But he said in this meeting, this is the pastor talking to his church people, what I am going to propose now is something which ought not to appear unusual or at all impossible of execution, yet I am aware that it will be so regarded by a large number of the members of the church. But in order that we may have a thorough understanding of what we are considering, I will put my proposition very plainly, perhaps bluntly. I know another pastor who speaks that way. I want volunteers from First Church who will pledge themselves earnestly and honestly for an entire year not to attempt anything without first asking the question, what would Jesus do? He stopped again as if he expected some kind of a response. There was none. Every eye was fixed intently on the pastor. After asking that question of yourself, each of you will follow Jesus exactly as he knows how, no matter what the results may be. I will, of course, include myself in this company of volunteers and shall take for granted that the members of my church here will not be surprised at any future conduct as based upon this standard of action and will not oppose whatever is done if they think Christ would do it. That's, chapter, that's from chapter 2 of the book, and the rest of the book is about what happened next. What might happen if we sought God's counsel and then did it? Of course, you're familiar with that saying, what would Jesus do? Uh, that marketing campaign came and went, got people talking, got people buying bracelets and, and other trinkets, and got people thinking. Uh, and uh, I read that book. I've read it now four times. Next to the Bible, there has, there has never been a book that has impacted me personally as powerfully in my Christian faith as that book. And it's fiction. Would that it were not fiction. Since we have a wonderful counselor, we must not only seek his wonderful counsel, but see it. See it. It's here. It's here in his word. It's already here. Do you see it? Seek it here first. And you will find almost everything you're looking for if you would just see it here. Now, you won't necessarily find that very specific answer, who should I marry unless you happen to meet her in a Bible class at the 
Christian college you're going to. Maybe. But you will find already, already clearly communicated to us a great portion of the wonderful counsel of God. Right here. See it. All Scripture is inspired by God, profitable. It is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. I know I've heard Pastor John say, this is a memory verse, 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, so that the man of God may be adequate. Adequate. What an understatement. So the, uh, the man of God may be pretty good. I like the word Thoroughly equipped for every good work. Some, some translations, by the way, translate the word adequate as perfect, complete. Also in James chapter 1, verse 25, the first part of the verse, uh, James, the half-brother of Jesus, says, One who looks intently at the perfect law. You see, you asked for it, and God has given it to you. You have to see it. You have to look at it. You have to examine it. You have to consider it. You have to see that God has answered your request for guidance. I just threw up that last, uh, this picture just as a little reinforcement. See it. Consider it. Finally, now that you have recognized that you have a wonderful counselor, who is everything that you want in a counselor. You have sought his counsel. He's given it and you have seen it. What's left for you to do? It's got to start with the letter S. So you've got to submit. You've got to submit to this counsel. You've got to actually do the Jesus take the wheel thing. And then let him keep it. Submit. Jesus said it this way. You're familiar with the story at the end of the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus says, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them may be compared to a wise man who built his house on the rock. He built his house. Remember that from children's church? Some of us do. The wise man built his house upon... The rain fell, the, the floods came, and the winds blew and slammed against that house, and yet it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And Jesus goes on to talk about the other guy. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does not act on them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rains came, and... The floods came and the winds blew and slammed against that house and it fell. Some of you do know the song. And great was its fall. What's the difference between the two men? Both men heard the words. Anyone who hears these words of mine, both the wise man and the foolish man hear these words. The wise man puts them into practice. The foolish man does not put them into practice. John 13, verse 17, Jesus says to his disciples, if you know these things, you will be blessed if you 
do them. Just knowing stuff might make you smart, but not wise. Might make you intelligent, but not wise. You've got to be able to do what you know. James 1.22, prove yourselves to be doers of the word, not merely hearers who delude themselves. James 1.25, one who looks intently at the perfect law, the law of liberty, and abides by it. Not having become a forgetful hearer, but an effectual doer, this man will be blessed in what he does. The one who has sought God's counsel, the one who has seen it and now submits to it, does it. This man is blessed in whatever he does. So, I just want to end this message. What, early? Yes, I know that's allowed. Here's some some counsel to consider. Wise counsel from the wise counselor from... Isaiah leaked this bit too. Isaiah 55. Listen to this. Listen to this advice. See if it has a place for you. Ho, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, and you who have no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money, without cost. Incline your ear and come to me. Listen that you may live. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts and let him return to the Lord and he will have compassion on him and to our God for he will abundantly pardon. One more Word of counsel from the wise and wonderful counselor. And with this, I'm going to pray and invite you to heed the counsel. John 7, 37. Now on the last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out, cried out saying, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture said, from his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. Are you thirsty? Does your soul thirst for the living God? Jesus stood and cried out with a loud voice, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me. Let him come. I'm going to pray. I'm going to invite you to stand. We're going to pray, and then uh, I'm going to ask some of our leaders if you would come and Uh, Stand here in the front. Should any of you want to heed to submit to that wise counsel from the wonderful counselor, um, we're going to invite you to come and uh, be refreshed. Someone will meet you and pray with you if that's what you want. Someone will meet you and leave you alone if that's what you want. But uh, there will be room and time for you to heed God's wonderful counsel and his invitation to come. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for giving to us a wonderful counselor. Wise beyond our comprehension, able to guide rightly, 
faithful and trustworthy, sympathetic and compassionate. We ask you, collectively and individually, we ask you to show us your way. Knowing that you have already shown us much of your way, help us to see it, to meditate on it, to soak and absorb it. And finally, Lord, to submit in obedience to what you have said to us that you would like for us to do. Thank you that you have come to be, among other things, our wonderful counselor. We worship you and praise you for your name is glorious. Amen. Invite any who wish to come. And uh, those of you who got to go, please travel home safely. Be careful out there. God bless you.